What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. Yeah. <laughs> um, people might make you start making assumptions about your, your level of mental competence, mm-hmm. and it's one thing you shouldn't assume about us is that we are mentally competent. That is very true. I had someone question me today saying, how, how is it that you do all the stuff you do and you've been in retail for over 20 years? And I was like, well, I was born broken and it never fixed. So there you go. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm generally a, you know, why, why am I, you know, not managing teams and stuff right now? People go occasionally, oh, you could, you could do the next job up. And I'm like, yeah, you see, it's not that I'm lazy. It's mm-hmm. just that I just don't care. To yeah. quote one of my favorite films of all time, Office Space. Like you know, like, <laughs> I just don't care. Um, that's, that, but that's a, that's a. I think it's a very fair. It's a clear, concise message of status of the relationship. Should we call it? Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> it also is like when you get to a level where you know you're like, I can live comfortably like this. Why yeah. would I? Why would I commit to more hours? Like, you know, yeah. like my boss has to be there until like midnight tonight because they're doing a thing, and you're like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Like, literally, someone tried to call me uh, from work while we were online last week doing the show. Oh, um, nope. And I, nope. I, I, nope. Yeah, I'm not answering that. <laughs> I don't get. I, I probably do get paid yeah. enough to do that, but no one's expecting me to, so I'm not. Yeah. But that is enough of that. Ladies and gentlemen, you have uh, tuned in for us live on Facebook.com slash George Taron. Live on Facebook.com slash, uh, nope, nope, where am I? Uh, Twitter. Uh, Twitch. Twitch.tv slash. The yeah, thing. <laughs> yes, Twitch.tv slash fry brain, uh, the fry brain, and YouTube.com slash armchair producers. There we go. Got it. Woohoo! Huzzah, you got there in the end, Grandpa. Hmm. <laughs> Back in my day, there were so many social medias. It was all one. It was it all was... one. One. Now, last week, we were talking about the Oliver Stone 2008 movie, W, starring Josh Brolin as the titular um, Mr. President. Um, we uh, talked about the finale of WandaVision, and, so, but we had a bit of a lost week this week because Falcon and uh, the Winter Soldier has not started. That starts tomorrow, as well as the public release of Zack Snyder's Justice League. So those are going to be basically probably going to take up a lot of our next week's show. But this week we continue on with our chain movie. I got to pick and I chose to follow on the ever wonderfully talented Jeffrey Wright from W to the 2005 Oscar winner for George Clooney, drama slash thriller, Syriana. Now, you had not watched this movie before. No, no, I had. I did see this when it first came out. Mm. What do you think, going back to it? It was interesting. So um, Mm. uh, I've been using IMDb now for probably the better part of 20 years, and I've been using the Mm. same login. Mm. Uh, And what's handy sometimes is you log on and you look at a film and go, I never saw that, and you see a rating. Next, yeah. Oh, I did Um, see it, and I rated it. Wow. (laughs) So I watched for my other podcast, The Throwback, downloadable now on Spotify, wherever you get good podcasts. And we Mm. just recorded a new show this week where we talked about the Robert De Niro, Leo DiCaprio film about a boy. 
Oh, yeah. uh, and I saw that film in high, in high school and I didn't like it because I was being forced to watch it. Mm. Um, and I seri- I noticed on IMDb, I've given it a six. And I'm like, what was I thinking? That's actually a significantly better film than a six. It's actually very mm-hmm. good. Um, and, and underrated by a, a great deal, especially De Niro's performance. This mm-hmm. film I saw in 2005 or six or whenever, mm-hmm. and I gave it a rating of nine on IMDb. Mm-hmm. And I am now in the exact opposite position to the one I was talking about, Vatter Boy, in the sense that I think I significantly overrated this film when I rated it the first time. I remember quite liking it. I remember thinking, George Clooney won the Oscar. Good, he deserved that. Mm. And now I'm thinking, why the fuck did they give him an Oscar for this? Uh, apart from the fact I'm- he put on a lot of weight. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on this. I so fondly remember this movie, and I, I was at the Oscars where George Clooney won for this performance. And I was so happy as like, yes, everyone who I wanted to win Oscars won. And I was kind of bored by the movie watching it again. It's like, okay, this is not at all how I remember it. I, I remember being just biting my nails thinking, this is really good, cranking up the tension and the, the interweaving stories. And eh. Um, that was kind of, that was it for me. Um, mm. I found, I guess, the Clooney's performance wasn't bad by any stretch mm. of my attention. Was it Oscar worthy? Mm. Mm, I would argue maybe it was not, mm. um, but it was fine. What I guess really bothered me about this film was how convoluted the plot was. It yeah. was all over the shop. And, at the yeah. same, and in doing so, it jumped from story story to story mm-hmm. and from location to location to location and sometimes we jump from location to location for one scene only mm. and i'm like why am i jumping from the middle east back to the states for one scene that isn't particularly relevant or important to the rest of the story yeah and i remember a film everybody seems to like these days that i did not was um rogue one mm-hmm. uh, and my one of the main reasons i didn't like it was the first half hour 40 minutes it's just them jumping from location to location to location, exposition, mm-hmm. exposition, location, location. They completely yeah. put me off. And uh, uh, something very similar um, happened here with Siriana in the sense that it was jumping around so much. Uh, I was really struggling to actually follow what was going on um, and to actually remember exactly. Hang on a second. What's Jeffrey Wright's character doing again? Why is yeah. he here? Why, why is he? And there are at least. I mean, we just say at least three or four different plot lines going on throughout the film. And lots of those storylines have elements in them that don't actually do anything to progress the narrative. Like, um, I think it's Jeffrey Wright's dad that keeps turning up. It's like, okay, he very clearly has an antagonistic relationship with his dad, but this isn't impacting him on any of his choices on what he's going to do on a moral level for the, for the elements of the story he's involved with. It's not linking in with any, uh, any of the other stories. It's not really doing anything except showing him as a bit of an uncaring ass. Okay. It, it, so you're trying to use it as a character building. I feel like watching this movie again and seeing the disparate storylines coming through, I feel like if they turned this into a miniseries and actually really went in on the character focus for this, the um, 
the breakdown of um, Matt, da- Matt Damon's Brian Woodman and his family after the the death of his son, uh, one of his sons, that and build that into more of why he's willing to get into bed with these people that are all fucking shifty. All of them are out for themselves and going into the reasons why the CIA keep on saying, oh, my God, Bob Barnes, George Clooney's character, keeps on sending all these memos. It's like, okay, you keep on giving this stuff, but you're not actually fleshing any of it out. You're just kind of going, this happened, this happened, this happened, boom. And And you're right, there's so much story that even though some of it could well have been interesting. Mm. um, I guess you could say, hang on a second, we've probably done it again. We have done it again, haven't we? We have done it we've, again. We've done it again. We've jumped in to explain. <laughs> we haven't told people what it's what about. This, what this is about. So do we Mariana, want to do the short version or the long version? Let's do the short version because the film is very long. <laughs> yes. Um, a politically charged epic about the state of the oil industry in the hands of those personal uh, hands of those personally involved and affected by it, which is a very fluffy, light way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Just give you no idea what the film is actually about. So we have mm-hmm. several threads. We follow. Bob Barnes, which is um, George, Clooney. uh, George Clooney's character, who is a CIA agent, I think. Um, he seems to be like one of these um, deep assets that, I don't know, he, the, the way that the, his higher-ups talk about him, they keep on referring back to Beirut 84, and it seems like maybe he's some kind of bit of a local legend within the CIA for, for clandestine information gathering or something but i don't know he's a bit of a laughing stock or not really cared about anymore it's never fully explained as to who he is or what he does and i just assumed he was like a cia guy he kind of seemed like he was doing stuff overseas Mm. that's kind of what cia does he's a spy of some description i guess yeah but i mean there's i think i think there's at least two instances where he's talking to people and there's they ask him so what is it they say you're doing now and he just gives these nebulous answers it's, it's like okay uh, at least, that's probably what a cia person would do yeah but you should if you're trying to get get the audience invested in a character you at least let the audience know what they're doing because the only because what you see of george Clooney is him walking around looking chunky, bearded, and tired, being tortured, or sitting in a cubicle a la office spaces. Like, okay, this is this is a very nebulous character where there's this character work here. Like his people are talking about some of the stuff that he's done in the past and his connections and the fact that he talks to a very quick cameo by William Hurt of like, is it safe for me to go back and things like that. So like, oh, there's some interesting backstory there. Show me something interesting. And it's like, nah, we're just going to, we're just going to keep it all vague. Very vague. So that's one plot. Mm. Bob Barnes, CIA kind of spy kind of guy. Mm doing spy shit in exotic locales around the world mm-hmm. and arguing with his superiors, I guess, mm-hmm. and being a general pest. Yeah. Um, and not being had, a good father. <laughs> not by in one scene. Yeah. Um, which they completely waste. Um, yep. uh, what's his name? The director's son, whose name escapes me from his room. Uh, 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 yep. 
Yeah, and you know, you you know his son. You'd be like, oh yeah, I've seen him around. Uh, he's in stuff. He's been in the uh, The Handmaid's Tale, amongst other. Ma- yeah. Max Minghella. Yes, who's a fine actor in his own. So one scene with him, good luck. He's <laughs> spotted. <laughs> um, but so I guess one of our other threads is the story of Matt Damon's character, um, Damon. uh, Brian Woodman. Mm-hmm. He's married to Julie, played by Amanda Peet, as you sort of mentioned last week. Fun. For that five minutes in the mid two thousands, where she was, mm-hmm. you know, famous and getting mm-hmm. A grade roles, uh, and he is a family man and some sort of financial analyst who mm-hmm. does TV talk. You know, he appears on TV to talk about oil futures and that kind yep. of shit. He gets invited to do a pitch for mm-hmm. uh, our third plot line, which is, uh, I guess, a family drama about a royal family. I don't think we've given the exact country. Um, somewhere like the UAE or Kuwait or Saudi Arabia, where I we think it's we, Kazakhstan. There's, a, there's a lot of talk of Kazakhstan. There's a lot of talk of Kazakhstan, and there's a lot of talk of Iran. But I don't know if if this story is actually Kazakhstan yeah. itself, because it's a little bit more Middle Eastern than than Kazakhstan, where um, we we follow, I guess, a power struggle mm. uh, between a, a modernist reformer. Member of a royal family, Doctor Bashir. Doctor Bashir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's hard to see him as anything else. Played by Alexander Siddig, who yep. plays Prince Nasir Al Subai, and mm-hmm. he has he is the potential heir apparent, and mm-hmm. it's sort of a power struggle between him and his brother about who will yeah. become the next Emir. He is a modernist, a reformer, mm-hmm. and he's kind of pushing against the you know the conservative establishment in his family. Mm. And at the same time, some degree, foreign powers who who see his modernization ideas as a threat to the established yep. order. Um, and then the fourth plot thread follows Jeffrey Wright playing Benedict Holiday, who is a, a lawyer, accountant, forensic accountant of some description, an investigator, an he's investigative analyst. He's investigating potential fraud or a deal. It's a major merger between two oil companies happening, and he's basically being given. The, um, the 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 task of figuring out if anything untoward going on yeah. at the companies that are involved in the merger, so he can sort of root that out before um, before the merger goes ahead. Yeah. Uh, and his is potentially the most confusing because I, mm-hmm. I don't really understand why it's there. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really feed much. I think it could be interesting. Someone navigating those very murky waters and you get these interesting momentary characters, like um, the interactions um, with uh, Chris Cooper and uh, what's his name? Uh, Fuck the, mm, the odd guy that's um, always got like a, you know, he's like, um, he has that big old rant about corruption. What the fuck is his name? Sorry. Um, uh, I'll, I'll find it in a minute. But, uh, ah, yes, Tim Blake Nelson. Ah, there's, yes. There's some interesting characters. It's like, okay, these are larger-than-life personalities in the oil industry and in congresses and things like that. That could be an interesting political avenue to go for. But just things just happen and then before you know it without explanation so like okay well we're gonna make a deal instead of actually playing this straight down the down the line we're gonna just have these sacrificial lambs that we're gonna throw in here and there until we get what we want like okay 
So this is actually his story is supposed to be about the corruption of his soul, metaphorically speaking, um, because he was, you know, when they first introduce him, um, Christopher Plummer is, why is the bad guy or the 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 head of an organization always gardening when bad shits happen? <laughs> Someone and saw the, uh, the, God, the Godfather a few times. He said, hello to Richard, <laughs> who's watching. Uh, hey, Richard. Student, friend of a show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you're right. It, it, I think it's like someone saw the Godfather a few too many times at seeing where Marlon Brando yeah. died. But that's cool. I want to do that. Yeah, but then it's like okay. So Christopher Plummer, ninety nine point nine percent of the times is great when he's on screen, and he always just holds the screen, and he has this essentially a monologue at Jeffrey Wright saying, "Oh, everyone at my law firm is is a." a lamb thinking that they're a lion. I want to know if everyone thinks you're a lamb and you're actually a lion. It's like, okay, is that what we're going to see here? Him, the lamb become the lion? No, we're not. We're just going to see the lamb become a lamb. What? But then you are forgetting the fifth storyline. The kids. Oh, well, that's, that's a very minor sort of, I would include that under Matt Damon's thread. I no, I'm not talking about Matt Damon's kids. I'm talking about the oh, well, kids. the kids in the kids in the foreign country. The yeah, the ones who lose their job because of the the merger, and then they become beekeepers, and then they're just shown a, a missile that George Clooney sold someone at the beginning of the movie, and it it's just the slow evolution of them becoming radicalized. I think. Yeah, but interestingly, that that's right. I, I did forget that. And interestingly, that's possibly the most interesting yeah. storyline in the film. And we never really given much of an explanation. No. I mean it does sort of come to fruition at the end of the film. I won't spoil it in case people haven't seen it, but we do see the conclusion of that arc. Um but it um it doesn't really ever feel particularly natural. It feels tacked on. Mm. Uh, but in the, unfortunately, as I said, it's the, it, the tacked on story is the most interesting mm. part of the film. Um, and, and actually there's an interesting story there about the exploitation of foreign workers in the Middle East and things like the World Cup next year is going to be in Qatar. Um, mm. And the amount of foreign workers who died building this stadium that they're going to hold the soccer games in next year, assuming it goes ahead. Um is is quite scandalous, and we're all going to go la di da. We don't need to worry about <laughs> those look at the bones just sticking out of the ground. It's fine. Watch the soccer, you know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I think um, one of the thoughts. Uh, so you can see there five separate threat plot threads. Mm. Now it takes a very talented director to keep all those plates spinning mm-hmm. and entertaining and interesting, and then tie them all up very nicely. Like you know, I'm thinking. Someone like I guess hand fanboy had on Tarantino's famous for it. Yep. Uh, he did it a lot. Um, yeah. Few others have really pulled it off quite so well. It was very fashionable in the nineties. I think um, Go, the film Go, was um, had a well, lot of this, it. This was kind of one of those. There was there was a stint where the Oscars loved those multi-thread movies like this. There was Crash. There was um, uh, fuck the. Um, God, it was uh, there was one with Brad Pitt in it, um, and Sean Penn, um, and there, there were a couple. So, like each year, there was like, oh, this is just interweaving stories. This is what we're doing. We're getting these um, high class actors involved in stories that kind of move around each other, not necessarily touching, but just you know, reflecting each other. And it's like, okay, 
Yep, that that had its moment. Interesting, the director and writer here, Stephen Gahan, I assume mm-hmm. it's pronounced, wrote Traffic. Wicked Traffic. Yep. Um, so, um, which is, again, something very similar, very similar mm-hmm. style of story. And I don't, Traffic won, I think, a Best Picture Oscar. Yeah. But I recall it being an extraordinarily weak year for, for Best Picture Oscars. Um, and, and one of those ones where you look back, it's like the one when Gwyneth Paltrow won for Shakespeare in Love and people like, that didn't age well. Um, so Steve Gahan, <laughs> I don't think is is a man for the job here. But mm. interestingly, it, it, it's, a, it's a very serious Richard interweaving stories. Isn't that a rather Marvel? In fantasy, this does pre bait the MCU. So I'm going to give um, uh, that's true. Credit. <laughs> but I remember liking it quite a bit. It has a good rating. It has a 76 mm. on Metacritic. What I think I was thinking while I was watching it, and I was driving home after watching it with a friend was um, is this, and it actually does link in nicely with W in a way. This mm. is a film of a similar vintage. This mm-hmm. is a film of the mid-2000s. It's a film in the the War of Terror, the War on Terror years, um, which yeah. is kind of still going, but we kind of forgotten about it. So, you know, uh, Don't talk about the war. <laughs> um, so, you know, we don't, we're not interested anymore. It's over. Um, and we won, of course. <laughs> but, you know, films about, Oil and the oil industry seemed um, very uh, prescient at the time, right? It was important, you know. Uh, I feel like this film is, is sort of a reflection of the political climate at the time. Um, you know, Dick Cheney was the, um, the head of a big company that was an oil company and made all uh, – Halliburton was the company's name. You know, mm. it made all the money from the war on terror. And I almost feel like the big company at the centre of this is very Halliburton-esque. Yeah, yeah, uh, I I think that's right. There, there's a lot of cynicism about the actions of all of the American characters and the representation of American businesses and things like that in the Middle East in this movie. Everything seems there's no one who's a knight in shining armor in the movie. There's everyone is beaten down and tired of the way things are. Everyone is working to try and improve it. And the big corporations just keep on plowing on and nothing ever really changes. And I think that is kind of reflective of the time, as you say, because everyone was sick and tired of it at that point. And it's, it's, it's really interesting because I, th- I think that that, that period of time during the Bush um, era and the basically that, that mid 2000s is ripe with some really interesting storytelling and going kind of deep dive into a lot of the, the political and um, kind of corporation sides of things and how they, they work together, fight each other and how things like giant land masses in the Middle East get caught in the fucking middle of people playing Monopoly, essentially. That is fascinating if you give it the time. This, it's got seeds of really interesting ideas and interesting stories, but it never gives any of them real time to flourish. There's none that really stand out shining. The fact that the radicalization storyline is the most interesting and it has the kind of the least to do with any of the kind of anti-american kind of feel of it all it's like this is just about someone who's going through a lot of bad fucking luck 
because of other people playing this game above their heads. They lose their job. They lose their citizen uh, right to work. They have to go back and they're just getting more and more despondent and they're looking for a way out. I, I can Be- kind of, first things first, I remember mm-hmm. the film you were thinking of. You are thinking of Babel, the Brad Pitt film. Yes, thank you. Um, secondly, I think the one thing that did, did um, resonate with me is I've been... Um, because I'm back at school now and I'm literally writing an essay about terrorism this week. Oh, um, here we go. The academic. <laughs> but the idea of throwing a rock into a pond and those ripples mm. ripple out, you know, uh, or to use a different metaphor, you know, the old one of, you know, a, a butterfly flaps its wings and around the world is a tsunami or whatever, mm. you know. Um, in this case, the butterfly flapping its wings is the, the merger of the two oil companies, which mm. leads to the people losing their job which leads to them having no other work, which leads to them becoming radicalised, which mm. leads to them doing what they do. Mm. Um, and that that was there, but it just probably would have been, as I sort of come back to it, would have been more interesting if that was the core of our story. And mm. at the end of the day, I don't really um, know what, what exactly George Clooney was doing. What was Bob Barnes's purpose in the whole thing? And, you yeah. know, why was he trying to do what he was doing? I mean, maybe I'm certain it was probably there at some point, but there was so much going on. When I got to that final scene, which I won't spoil, where mm. Bob does what he does mm-hmm. um, and what happens to him happens, mm. um, it was like, wait a second, how did he end up here again? Why yeah. is he doing this again? What yeah. is he hoping to achieve by doing what he's doing? Uh, I think you have to go back and watch this again to figure it out, I think. It's... it's um. It's. I think it's, it's. It's interesting to see how poorly this film has aged. Yeah, I. I think so, and it's a shame because, like, like I keep coming back to, there, there's little bits in it that could be really good if they were given time, if they were fleshed out. That's why I think that a mini series, being able to stretch it out and maybe even just have like hour long episodes on each of the four, uh, the five storylines, that would be great, and maybe have a little bit more pointed ripple effect like um they're at different times they're watching you know when you cut from one to another they're seeing the same newspaper and it's like a slightly different spin on how something's like um you know in america sort of like a merger of these two oil companies sparks political intrigue blah 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 and then you cut over to um the middle east and it's sort of like a, a different angle on it and it's one of the characters just kind of just casually looking at it so you get a little bit more of that connective tissue and a timeline of when things are happening because it it feels like the timeline for this movie just speeds up slows down speeds up goes back goes forward a lot it's it's a bit discombobulating watching this movie and going okay yeah so that's um yeah, so at this point when I'm watching this guy, that's happening over here. Oh no, no, I think that I think I'm wrong. Um, hmm. And it's 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 really annoying. It's a shame. Richard has an interesting take. Uh, when Hollywood gets involved in the Middle East, there are so many different stories, so much real world information. I feel the audience gets confused as to what they're meant to take away. Mm. I would tend to agree about. It. I think this film made me think of um, the Matt Damon film Green Zone, which mm. I'm uh, I famously hate because I read the book, which they bought the rights to to turn into this film and they then they just basically said we'll use the name and nothing else uh mm-hmm. sort of um but it was really boring um and again to richard's point i kind of walked away what exactly is that film saying what exactly is it am i supposed to feel yeah. after seeing that film and i felt the same way after Siriano. i was confused i was 
bored. I was mm. struggling to keep up with the, the, the different plot threads. It could have cut down with cutting two or three of them and mm. focused on on two, maybe the, the radicalization and Bob Barnes and maybe Matt Damon. That would have really, because I think Matt Damon is probably the most likable character in the film. Yeah, but even then, it's he's still kind of, the way that he deals with the death of his son, which it comes to something. I had uh, had to put the subtitles on for a, for a little bit, and the kids are never named. They're just younger son or elder son. It's like, okay, so you want me to really emote with this because a child died, not because it is um, Brian Jr. or anything like that. It's so like, okay, you're using that to elicit a reaction and emotion from me, but you haven't earned that yet because you haven't fleshed it out. I honestly would find this way more interesting if it was the radicalization and the political um, machinations of the, um, the, um, uh, the, uh, Amir's family, everything around there. Cause that was like, we get this, these brief little moments of this other son that seems to be the, so like, Oh yes. On my birthday, I got this boat because I graduated and my premiums came through and nothing you give me can possibly like that. And then you've got this other, other son who's trying to be more forward thinking, kind of going, yes, we need to involve women in our societies and blah, 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 blah. And then we've got this old father figure who at the start, he seems like this, this powerful kind of thing. You could have to use a, ship variation you could have done a, a bit of a game of thrones kind of vibe to it but set it modern times in the real world and that would be really interesting to watch <laughs> and even ended in a big fight like in star trek where we're in the pit with a big sword going, dun, 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 dun. Um, so good. They have the high ground um, <laughs> um yeah uh miss foxy b says the falcons were the most likable characters um <laughs> That's a controversial opinion. Um, the Falcons, I think, have actually been. I think they might have had um, blackface photos taken while they're in college. So oh, we don't, no. we don't yeah, talk we about the Falcons. Yeah, we cannot Falcons. talk about them. The Falcons have been cancelled. Um, <laughs> um, um, how did the death of add to the story? It's an interesting question, actually. What exactly did Matt Damon's son's death add to the story, apart from really getting him in? Yeah. with the royal family that was essentially the, the point of his son's death was he gained an inside track with the royal family because mm. they were embarrassed and felt guilty i guess to some degree over yeah. the death of, of his son i mean there i mean apart from that i i think it's a fair question i don't know that it was a great deal mm. else yeah it was just another inciting incident for other things that never really pay it off um, and you did get that uh, quite good um, scene between um, Matt Damon and uh, Prince Nazir. And they're kind of said like, oh, yes. And he, Matt Damon does the maths. It's like, okay, that's 75 million. Great. And how much for my other kid? And that is actually a really good scene. But then it's kind of like consequences in the MCU. It's never talked of again. I mean, Amanda Pete kind of digs at him about it once, and then she moves back to America, which is yeah. um, that's really it's just sort of there to sort of be a a pot, pot pivot point to sort of move yeah. our character to this to this position we need yeah. him to be. 
And without something dramatic like that, he wouldn't have managed to get access to the royal family. Um, and yeah. so it did it. What, what did the death add to the story? Foxy B, it didn't add anything. I feel it was just plot, contri- like plot yeah. contrivance. Yeah. Yeah. It was a MacGuffin and, not, and nothing more, sadly. And a shocking moment. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, there's not very many interesting things happen in this film. Not really. Um, I mean, even like- even the the torture scene of George Clooney's character Bob, it's sort of like okay, that's it's quite an interesting concept of someone just talking through and building up that that fear within the person who is being victimized. But it then just gets nipped in the bud, and it's like okay, uh, wait, why did that happen? Why why did he? Why did that guy capture Bob? Why was he? What What did Bob do to deserve that? What is he being double crossed? It, and it never gets fully fleshed out and explained in any way that you can kind of go, oh, oh, that was cool. You just go, okay, that happened because they needed to freeze him out of the CIA. Uh, I have to be honest. There were a number of moments where we were watching it and there were. Who was that guy? Yeah. <laughs> Why did they kill that guy? What did he do with them? Why would they kill that guy if he was with them? Oh, he wasn't really with them. Um, <laughs> it's like there are a number of those moments. And, like, normally, I, I mean, I can answer, like, the plot and go, well, he's doing this because it's reasonable. Like, you got to, like, again, you got to mention earlier where, where Jeffrey Wright's dad pops up at the end. And, like, uh, we were like, who's that guy again? I'm like, yeah. I don't really remember who he is. Like, yeah, he was in the movie earlier, but I don't know why. Yeah. I wasn't really paying attention, um, or I was just so bored that, like, I was like, "Can we get back to the actual?" Uh, it's, it's, uh, it is. Uh, was anything explained? I switched off Foxy. I don't know if it there was. I, I certainly walked away from this going, "It's a con- bit of a mess. It's a bit mm. of a mess," and I yeah. think I was a bit premature with that nine. Yeah, yeah. Well. We've uh, dug the claws in long enough on Siriana. Travis, it is your turn to choose the next link in the chain. And uh, it is, and it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one this week because I have decided hmm. we've, we've kind of been floating around the two thousands a little bit. We've been having it a little hmm. bit easy um, with films that we know. If you say, "Well, Amanda Peet's her first movie was Death Machine 2, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> She wasn't in Death Machine too. <laughs> um, it was Matt Damon. Damn it! <laughs> a dream she could have got. She, she couldn't have been in that film. I did consider very closely the 1978 film Star Crash, um, uh, starring Christopher Plummer. Okay. Uh, that's a four on, on IMDb and is available in its entirety on YouTube. But um, I don't think I've been forgiven for. Um, uh, <laughs> the death machine. So, uh, but we are following Christopher Plummer, and okay. we're going back. We are going. We're leaving our comfort zone, and okay. I think I'm picking a film. A film I know I haven't seen. Mm. I suspect you haven't seen it either. It is the 1967 film, The Night of the Generals. I've heard of this movie. So but... this film stars uh, Omar Sharif, Peter O'Toole, Tom Courtney, Donald Pleasance. So, uh, and of course, the uh, the great late, and I thought this would be appropriate considering Christopher Plummer just passed away um, mm. 
uh, a couple of months ago. Now, oh. I don't know if we followed Chris Plummer to Star Trek Six, so he was involved in the Star Trek Six exchange. I can't recall. No, that was Kim Cattrall. Um, oh, so- no, wait. We did use Christopher Plummer because we went to the Inside Man. Am I allowed to use him again? You know what? Because we haven't gone that far back in in the cinema history, I'm going to say yes, we can. And also, I didn't pick the sound of music, so I mean, I could have. Could have, yeah. Uh, I appreciate the uh, the, uh, the 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 indulgence, <laughs> but uh, this has got a seven point three on IMDb. Um, quite a cast, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Tool, considered one of the great actors of all time. Mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance, I think, is an Academy Award winner. I feel like you should be able to take something interesting from this. Oh, yes. I've already got some ideas. And we're going to follow Peter O'Toole to Troy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, although I am mildly tempted to just go the very easy route and just go Stardust because Stardust is an adorable movie, but that takes us to the mid-2000s again, and I can't do that. I guess it would be interesting to go back to an era, but we don't, mm. we don't, we don't actually explore a great deal. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it, uh, see if it's a film from a different era. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's just to challenge ourselves up a little bit for a film we haven't seen before, which I think was kind of the idea behind yeah. um, why we started doing it. It was a streak of rage, wasn't it? Um, uh streets of fire uh for those who want to play along at home this is available for rental on youtube and from google play Alrighty, fantastic for for anyone who doesn't know uh the night of the generals in 1942 a polish prostitute and german agent is murdered in warsaw suspicion falls on three generals and major grau of german intelligence seeks justice which ends up taking decades um sounds good to me i like mm-hmm. nazis uh <laughs> <laughs> well careful how you phrase that <laughs> uh touche um movies about nazis yeah. um uh generally entertaining and richard i think has a suggestion for you for your next um oh, the incredible journey could be a good one the one where they shrink him uh, was that Incredible Voyage? I think that's the Incredible Voyage. Where they shrink him and put him inside yeah. someone's body. I don't know. I think I had that as a kid. Um. Anyway, uh, that is in the hands of my co-host. Mm-hmm. He will next make an advice decision. I and will. as a reason, yeah. if, if I had gone with the sound of music, mm. he would have waited. He would have waited for me in the backseat of my car in the car park at some point with a duct tape. <laughs> no, there, there is, there are certain rules for me um, watching musicals, and one of them is strangely, it has to involve Nazis. Uh, well, I mean, a Nazi musical. I mean, so that and the producers. Exactly that, and the producers. Uh, South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. <laughs> it's springtime for Hitler and Germany. <laughs> if you haven't seen the producers, I, I do highly recommend it. It's a wonderful film. Watch the original version. Don't watch the remake. I can also note that uh, Donald Pleasance played the president in Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. Just so. I am mildly tempted by that. And th- th- there's a few, like, you know, go to Halloween. He did play Dr. Loomis. There's I saw Escape from New York. Escape from LA was on TV recently, and I watched some of it. I'm like, whoa. <gasps> there's a film I haven't seen in a long time. 
I already know where we're going. Wow. <laughs> that sounds exciting. I um, am so happy because any excuse to watch this movie is amazing. <laughs> that anyway. This week. All right. Now, Have you been watching anything else this week? Yeah, actually. I didn't feel like I got quite enough of Josh Brolin and I wanted a little bit more Elizabeth Olsen in my life. So I went on to Stan and watched the 2013 Spike Lee-directed version of Old Boy. I suggested this for last week, but I heard it wasn't very good. It's not that it's not very good. It's just kind of pointless if you really... If you found... Because the, the original movie was uh, directed by uh, Panwick... Uh, Chanwick Park. Um, he did uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. He did um, uh, Stoker. He's not really ventured into Western cinema. He's generally sticking to, um, I think he's Korean. Not sure. But I think he's it's a Korean film. I recall yeah. hearing about it. Yeah. But um, it that was a phenomenal movie. And the the way that the story is told and the revelations that happen throughout it are masterfully done. It is brilliant. It is heartbreaking. It is terrifying. You feel horrible. It's a similar kind of breakdown of the audience psyche as you get in Requiem for a Dream in some ways. So when you're going off of that and you basically just remake it for the more delicate sensibilities in the cinematic world of the Western Hollywood machine, where they are never going to go as intense and visceral and dark as a lot of cinema from Asia comes out. You look at any of the remakes of horror movies that have come out of Japan and Korea and things like that. They are always less than the original. Not necessarily bad, like uh, Gore Verbinski's version of The Ring was still a very good movie, and for Hollywood standards, it was actually pretty good horror. But it just wasn't the same as watching the original version of The Ring. And the same kind of falls in with this. Josh Brolin plays Joe Doucette, who very quick, very early on is shown to be an alcoholic, a bit of womanizer, just generally a bit of human trash. And then he gets abducted for 20 years he is left in a room where he is fed where he is kept healthy he has a tv he has a fake window that he can that simulates day and night cycle for him he is protected he is purposefully kept alive for 20 years and then mysteriously he is released and the questions of who did this um, and revenge are primary on him. We meet Elizabeth Olsen's Marie um, when Joe gets, uh, he's chasing after someone who he thinks has something to do with his, um, uh, with his abduction. And then he, she's a nurse and she is, seems to be very um, willing to help him she seemed and through the story you uh, learned that she was into some some drug of some description and she is reformed and she's trying to help people but 
everything about it, all the performances are great. And Spike Lee is a great accomplished director. The film looks good, everything about it, but it's all kind of, I don't know whether it's just because I'm such a fan of the original that I was just looking at going, okay, yep, that's good, but it's not as good as what happened before. It, it just always feels less than, which is kind of unfair on everyone involved because they all do great jobs. Uh, Josh Brolin is fantastic in this character where he he's very good at playing horrible, horrible human. And at the start, you don't like him. He's got this big beer belly on and he just looks unhealthy and kind of strangely feels sickening around him and then we just follow him through these 20 years in this um in this room and just his slow kind of crumbling of his psyche as he tries to stay positive succumbs to grief builds up this hatred learns to fight just by punching a wall and just getting stronger and then it's kind of a standard revenge plot. And unfortunately, one of the real weak links in it is someone who's generally quite good at being a character actor, and that's Charlotte Copley, who shot to fame because of District 9. Um, he was in Chappie. Uh, he was in the A-Team. He's popped up around the place, and he's usually this... He usually disguises himself in a lot of a different voice and mannerisms and attitude. He's quite chameleonic in a lot of ways. He's generally a good actor, but here he plays a character, Adrian. And it feels like it's from a different movie and it doesn't work. And so everything about it just whenever he's on screen, it's like, okay, you're not scary you're not intimidating you're not you don't come across as a horrible genius or a malicious person you just seem like a petty school bully which maybe is part of the the reasoning behind it because of the inciting incident for this long drawn out revenge against Joe Doucette. and it's just I watched it in the cinema and I thought, okay, that was all right, but it wasn't great. And going back to it, I just feel feel bad for everyone involved because if the original didn't exist, this would probably be a really good piece. And they actually, unlike what I thought they were going to do, they kept the twist ending and the revelations of who everyone is. I won't spoil it for anyone who's interested. Including but, me. <laughs> hmm. It's it's a good twist. It's a good gut punch that just makes you go, oh, fuck. It's not as well delivered in this movie as in the other one. It And especially going back to it now because both the lead actors, in fact, Samuel L. Jackson's also in this movie and he's one of the main characters in the movie as well. Having all three of them being very prominent Marvel characters it's a little hard to kind of go, oh, yeah, that's Wanda and Thanos. There are four. There are four. Pom Clementio is in this Oh, well. yes, that's um, right. I'm, pronouncing that, I'm obviously pronouncing that incorrectly because I'm not French. But, of course, she plays um, Mantis. Yes, that's right. Yes, my apologies, Pom. Um, quite, a, quite a heavy. Um, interesting that we've got future Best Actor Oscar winner Remy Malek in here and fairly well down the list as well. Yeah, he's a bit of a blink and you'll miss it 
um cameo in it really is it's not um when you when you think of he's the new bad guy in the new bond movie that will one day come out <laughs> it's quite, okay it. yeah the, the, the myths um but it's it, it just sounds like a film that's less than some of its parts yeah and it's it's a shame because everything about it is solid it's good um spike lee um, was coming off of, you know, well, continuing a, a generally pretty successful run. I mean, um, just looking back, this was 2013. Um, the last ma- movie that he did um, was Inside Man, which we talked about a while ago, and that was a, a good solid nice. movie. Yeah, and it was a a more mainstream movie for, for a Spike Lee movie. Cause you think about like, she hates me was um, the movie he did before that in the 25th hour. Um, 25th, not, 25th hour is good. And they, that's not even talking, talking about his earlier stuff of do the right thing. Malcolm X, you're going to have it. Those kinds of things. It's like, okay, he, he ventured into this mainstream. And apparently there's a sequel for inside man that's been developed and then his next one is a remake of an Asian psychological brutal drama thriller. It's like, okay, those are odd choices. And it's like, it seems like a waste I, I of his talent. Do you like that Spike jumps around and does different stuff now? So mm, yeah, that's film true. Black Klansman was a film we reviewed in the show and mm. really enjoyed. I know I enjoyed it. I think you did too. Mm. Yeah. Um, he was in, the, the, I haven't seen it, but The Five Bloods has mm. been quite well um, reviewed from last mm-hmm. year uh and apparently according to his imdb page mm. untitled spike lee musical uh okay. i would definitely musical about the origin of viagra Pfizer's erectile dysfunction drug <laughs> shut up and take my fucking money Dude, my head just suddenly filled with every sperm is sacred. I would watch the living shit out of that. And I don't like musicals. Uh, and it says you, and yet you've watched so many at this point. Well, I've been around a while. I'm old. Uh, it, uh, it, it, that sounds fucking amazing. I, I remember I took my, uh, my girlfriend at the time to hmm. our first Valentine's together back in 2005. I took her to see Debbie Does Dallas, the musical. Um, and she was like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, hey, you can go to work tomorrow. And who else is going to be able to say, my boyfriend took me to see Debbie Does Dallas, the musical. Thank you very much. You can thank you later. <laughs> it's completely original and it's great. <laughs> and it was a wonderful, wonderful, um, it was a wonderful production, I should say. Mm. Very funny. Well, there you go. So... I think the, this movie is sitting on a 5.7 out of 10 and a 49 Metacritic. I think that's a little harsh, but at the same time, it's not too far off the mark. I, I give it probably a 6 or a 7, just around that, because it's solid performance. is just kind of unnecessary if you've seen the original. How long after did we break up? <laughs> uh, about 12 years. 
she later bragged about it. She later would go on and go, oh, well, we saw Debbie Dow's House of Music and it was so funny. And she sort of basked in the, the hipness of the fact that, we, you know, we'd seen this thing. It was actually a very popular off-Broadway musical. Um, <laughs> and they were like, oh, it's hilarious and funny. You're so edgy and cool. And only I remember the fact that she thought it was a, a joke and uh, <laughs> was giving me the side eye all the way through the fucking thing. Um, but, yeah, it, it was funny. <laughs> Whatever helps you sleep at night, sir. Whatever helps you sleep. <laughs> it does help me. <laughs> um, but that's that's the one of the things. The other thing I I teased it a little while ago, um, but uh, I'll actually talk about it a little bit more now. And that is one of the current hot anime manga in the world, and that is Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer season one is available on Netflix. And in many ways, it's your typical anime in that it's a lot of kind of elaborate action sequences with a young protagonist fighting against the, um, the oppressions of the world. And in this particular world, demons are a fairly prevalent thing. And there are people that get trained up and just wander from town to town Um hunting demons and attempting to uh, right the wrongs of the world. The difference here is our main protagonist, which I'm just going to bring it up right now. Here we go. That's it. Um, uh, yeah, here we go. So the, the plot for it is a family is attacked by demons and only two members survive. Tanjiro and his sister Nezuko, who is turning into a demon slowly. Tanjiro sets out to become a demon slayer to avenge his family and cure his sister. So this is, you've probably already actually seen images from this anime around the place. Like there's uh, one guy who's got two swords and he wears a boar's head mask. Um, the sister has sort of like got these big eyes and then there's like a, looks kind of like a scroll case that's permanently hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, sorry, anime character with oversized eyes. Now you're just talking crazy. I know, I know. It's mad, right? It's madness. Madness. But um, it's quite good. But I don't think it's actually really doing anything new. It's, it's certainly, certainly to me, it's like, okay, this is very typical anime fare. The animation is stunning. It is really, really beautifully animated. Um, the kind of sequences and sword fighting skills that Tanjiro learns, um, it takes two years of learning before it becomes a, uh, a demon slayer and even just then a very novice demon slayer. Um, the way that he's kind of, he talks, he kind of does the Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr. style trying to map out the, the the fight in his head before it happens. They do something a little along those lines in this, and it's it's interesting. The, um, I'm listening to it dubbed because I'm not a snobby asshole. Um, the dub is good, um, and everything about it is solid, but it's kind of puff the course now with a lot of animes because they either very successful straight away and they'll get, season after season after season, and there'll be a machine and they'll end up being like Naruto or Full Metal Alchemist or Death Note, and things like that, where they'll run their full course because they are just big cash machines. Or they'll do a season, won't take off, and it'll just disappear. No one will talk about it ever again. 
this is still early on. It's only only been airing since uh, last 2019, so two years, at this, what, a year and a half at this point. So whether or not it has the staying power, I don't know, but it's certainly one of the most lauded animes out there. And there was a, a movie that got released in the cinemas, and it's one of the biggest blockbuster draws of the year, which is a bit of a funny way of putting it in a COVID world when there's not much in the cinemas, but... It's, it's interesting. And if you've got, like, um, uh, I'm watching it on Anime Lab, which is just an app on Xbox, PlayStation, iPhones, all of your smartphones, and you can just watch it with ads and it's free. The only limitation is you don't, uh, some of them you don't uh, get to. Uh, no, I'm watching this on Netflix, but I'm also watching other things on Anime Lab. It's good. If you want something that's just going to kind of take up a chunk of time, 20 minutes, half hour episodes. It's all right. I don't think you'd uh, like it, Travis. Well, that's true. I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's well documented that I'm not a, a great anime aficionado. Mm. Um, well, especially right. can still be with fantasy ones of sword fighting and stuff. It's so mm. cliche. That's why yeah. I quite I didn't mind the, the lawyer one you um you recommended a while back. Oh, which one was that? I can't remember. The guy's a lawyer or something. He, he scares off ghosts or something, and he got the guy. Oh, Mob Psycho One Hundred. Yeah. Yeah, lawyer. I can't remember. Yeah, I remember he, he's um, he's a, uh, a, a, like a, a paranormal ghost, investigator. That's right. He's like a ghostbustery kind of guy. And yeah, he's kind of like a complete fraud. Yeah, yeah. So that's that was kind all of right. Um, yeah. I have started watching. Um, there's another one. I'm going to see if I can actually get it because it's a tricky name to reference. It's another one that you would not like, but it's an interesting concept. Uh, oh, Moshuko Tensi, um, jobless, uh, jobless reincarnation. Yeah. So the first episode, it starts with is a car crash, and you just hear people talking about how this guy saved these girls, but he's dead. And then it's white screen, and just this guy going, "Oh, okay, so I'm dead then." Um, well, I wish I'd done more with my life. That's that's kind of boring. And he's just having this kind of internal monologue and then slowly visuals come into it and he just sees this woman in front of him and says, like, who the hell are you? What? Why aren't you? And he just starts trying to work it out. And then eventually he's like reaching out towards her and he sees these baby hands. He's like, what the hell? Uh, am I in a baby? So, <laughs> it's, it's so he's soul. like... It's soul then. No, <laughs> because he gets reincarnated into a world of fantasy and magic, and it is also populated wow. by be- de- do, do beast they people. Make, do they make mangas about things that aren't fantasy and magic and sword fights? They um, absolutely do. Yes, you, there's a, a plethora of sports-based anime out there that is insane. And um, you know, Food Wars is really good for cooking. It's very I remember inspiring. You Food Wars a while ago. Yes, um, yeah. that's very. If, if it wasn't so fucking weird. <laughs> that's true <laughs> is, people is can say a, that about us <laughs> challenge for you and you're probably going to be answered very easily mm. what is the most is there manga that is set in the real world is there realistic manga that confronts real world issues in a realistic way well yeah um and you know if you're looking at animation um in that then you you know, just look at Grave of the Fireflies. Um, only yesterday, um, that's a very good film. Um, 
but I mean, I'm like, I, they're pretty rare by, by, by you th- my. You think you're thinking more of the kind of slice of life kind of thing, yeah? Like, I mean, how would you could you tell a story like Syriana about international global politics mm-hmm. in a manga, or are they strictly about? escapism in one way no, you you absolutely can they're just not the they're not built into the machine usually with a lot of manga it seems like they are made to make money they the manga industry and the anime industry in japan is run by but this it's the same manga, people that run disney essentially is that the manga idea. Audience aren't looking for it in other words they're not they're looking mm-hmm. for escapism in their content yeah, they're, they're looking for something that they can get a popular musical group to do the theme song and end song for. They can ma- merchandise the shit out of it. That's what they do. But there is like an independent side where you can go into these like mini series sorts of things and just have these far more serious, realistic things. Like there's, there's stuff like, um, uh, what, um, a manga that I've got is called Uzumaki. And it's just spirals and it's just these interconnected stories that are it's horror and it's fucked up and it's great i'll lend it to you because it's very very cool usually if you write manga uzumaki you'll probably get a lot of naruto because that's his name um but at the same time you'll end up getting this black and white manga just called uzumaki and it's very very good you'd probably actually really like it thinking about it and it's possible yeah, but uh, I'll have to lend it to you because I got the full compendium of it. It's I am being, I am being deliberately, um, it, uh, you know, uh, difficult about it. It's, it's, um, <laughs> I know it's this shit isn't for me. No, that's fine. That's fine. But let's talk about more things that are for you, because you've uh, seen more, more modern movies again. I went to the cinema a couple times. Unbelievable. Uh, I, I know, right? It's actually, it was a cinema. It was literally 10 minutes walk from my house. And it's a beautiful old Art Deco cinema. Um, and I actually hadn't been there before about four weeks ago when I saw Promising Young Woman. But I got to go twice. Uh, unplanned, but that's what happened. Um, I was bored on Friday night, so I went to Nomadland. Nomadland. And let what me, the, is Nomadland? Nomadland is the film, 2020 film, after losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Okay. It has been nominated for six Oscars. Okay. Uh, I would put it in my thoughts as being the favourite for Best Actress, mm-hmm. Best Picture, Best mm-hmm. Director. Okay. It should be no means my vote for it would not be for it would not I I would not vote for it if I were an Academy member. And mm-hmm. God knows my fucking membership still hasn't come through. God knows why. Um, Mine came through the other week, but I'm just not going to use it. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, get the free DVDs and just pirate them. That's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I wouldn't vote for this film in any of those categories. But I'm just saying I feel like it's the kind of film the Academy will. Mm. Both of those. Mm. It's the hot favorite, I think, for best actress. For mm-hmm. is it stars Francis McDormand, the other notable actor in here. Is, David Strathairn. There we go. Because pretty much the rest of the cast are not actors. Okay. They are real van dwelling nomad type people. Okay. Um, so this is film directed by Chloe Zhao, who is very hip right now because we don't. Uh, 
she, well, she made this film, which is very popular. She made a film a few years ago that everybody talks about called The Rider, which I have not seen. Interestingly, she went straight from Nomadland into directing The Eternals for Marvel. That's um, right. Yes. So what a yin and yang, really, because this is very, very indie, uh, lo-fi mm-hmm. filmmaking, um, and into a giant Marvel thing mm-hmm. with Angelina Jolie and stuff. Very curious to see the event Eternals when it comes out, but we will wait mm-hmm. for that when it does. Um, mm-hmm. Nomadland's a really weird film. It's okay. kind of a. I've heard it described as a docu-fictional film. Okay. So. It's kind of a meshing of documentary and feature filmmaking. Um, so uh, Frances McDormand plays the character of Fern. So she plays a fictional character. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas most of the other people in the film are kind of playing themselves in the sense that okay. they are real people who live in vans and stuff. Um and yeah, David Strafan, he is not playing himself. Um, so, <laughs> well, um, he's playing a character called Dave. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it, it's a pretty deep character. Um, <laughs> and his son is in it as well, that Tay Strafan. Uh, okay. And he plays his well, character, Dave's son. Um, and maybe it's just a bit easier to call him by you know his real name. Um, so, we, we meet Fern. She is from a town called Empire, Arizona, where there was a big factory that made sheetrock. Okay. Uh, she, building materials or something. Um, and that was pretty much the whole town. The reason that town existed was the factory that made this stuff. They decided to shut it down. So they basically shut the town down and moved everybody out. Um, and, and I do find that angle of the film is quite interesting following the Great Recession of the late 2000s where it kind of destroyed a lot of people's lives. Um she's basically her husband dies mm-hmm. of cancer she's left with almost nothing and so her way of living at that point is to buy a van fit it out in the back and she drives around living out of the back of a van so okay the film is is when i say it's a docu-fiction it doesn't have a traditional story arc it, it doesn't have a act one act two act three we don't have a character arc of learning and you know overcoming mm-hmm. obstacles and then you know becoming a better person at the end or anything like that mm. stuff just happens okay uh so we just follow uh, fern driving around parking places getting shitty part-time jobs fixing problems of a van hanging out with other van dwellers uh that's kind of so i guess our fictional part is is fern's journey through you know, just driving around the west western states of the United States. The, the mm. documentary part of it comes in with the story about there's a great deal of community between van dwellers, okay. and they kind of have like their own little Coachella kind of thing in the desert where they all hang out and swap tips and stuff like that about how burning can, man <laughs> about how you can shit in the bucket comfortably and stuff like that, and you know <laughs> how not to get kicked off someone's property and you know. <laughs> Protecting yourself. Um, that, do, do they? Is it like to camera kind of stuff, or not, not talking heads? So okay. think of a fly in a wall style documentary. Okay. So this is just a cameraman wandering around the, you know, the what I don't know what they call. It. There's actually a whole name for what they call the Van Dwellers Coachella. I can't remember what it is. A kind of a serious, a serious alternative to Borat. Little bit, um, and it's interesting that apparently a number of the characters in the film 
uh, so actors in the film, I should say, mm. uh, didn't know who Francis McDormand was, mm. um, which is, is is quite fascinating. Um, I'm trying to find is there's actually a, a guy that he's kind of a local, and I assume he really isn't a real person, mm. uh, uh, an actual kind of like van dwelling guru. And and at one point, uh, Fern has this fantastic um, monologue. Uh, about her husband and how she misses him and how much she loved him and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, and he just assumed she was telling him about her actual husband. And then she found out later, oh, actually, no, my husband's name is Joel uh, Cohen and he kind of makes films as well. <laughs> <laughs> you might have heard of him. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, and so he was quite shocked apparently that she was like literally not a um, – not a real person. Uh, sorry, yeah, wow. not, not Fern. Um, so it's a really weird one for me. I was kind of torn about this. Um, mm. The lack of a story bothered me. Um, I found myself getting a little bit bored occasionally mm. um, because if I wanted to watch a documentary about van living, I'd probably watch Vice. Um, <laughs> yeah, there'd probably be something on YouTube, you know, like it's a high-budget documentary about people living in van. But at the same time... That is an interesting lifestyle choice. Yeah. And a lot of people are making – actually literally making that choice mm. in the um, United States to live that way, which does um, lead into the one interesting part of the film for me is that she works these um, – she works a lot of part-time jobs. Mm. So um, she works um, at a beet harvest, shoveling beets. She works in a campground as a, what do you call like a janitor kind of thing or a grounds person. Mm -hmm. um, she works in a roadhouse called Wall Drug. Wall okay. Space Drug. It's a real place. I had to Google it and it does look fascinating. I, I can't wait to go. Um, but, uh, you know, and the interesting thing is that they all kind of swap jobs and they all hook each other up with different jobs. And so she meets David Strafan's character. They get along well. He hooks her up with a Wall Drug job. Um, and these are all people who are essentially retired, yeah, uh, in their you know sixties and seventies, and it's kind of an interesting yin and yang. With the, are you familiar with the concept of grey nomads? No. So it, it's a common, it's a bit of an Australian thing where you retire, you sell the fucking ridiculously overpriced inner city property you bought in nineteen fifty for like half a bag of twisties and a meat pie. <laughs> You know, um, for like $400 million to a boomer, you know, uh, so to some fucking, you know, tech genius or something. And then you take that money and then you buy a camper van or a tra or a, camp a caravan or, you know what I mean? Something like that. And you, and you just drive and you just go driving around Australia all year. Okay. And there are, there are a whole class of people who have a grey nomad. It's kind of a cliche. Interestingly, the last year wasn't been good for them because a lot of them got stuck up in the Northern Territory. Yeah. Um, so, and yes, and I can see the appeal of that, right? Like, can you imagine it's like going, I have no responsibilities today. I don't have to worry about money. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to go that way. Yeah. It's like, I can well feel like it. Yep. I can see the appeal of that, but I would get yeah. bored quickly, I think. Um, but anyway, the Green Nomads, it's the kind of the Australian version of it. I live in a van, but it's a fucking fancy ass Winnebago, probably. <laughs> and you know, um, and then you, you do it by choice, and it's kind of a a way of enjoying, you know, seeing the country and enjoying your life. Yeah. Whereas in the states, it seems like Nomadland's telling us it's a um, it's people are forced into this while yeah. they may choose it, 
they are choosing it under sufferance because mm. you know there it's a country with basically no support net yeah. for people it's like this or homelessness kind of thing kind of thing and it's a version of it's a one step up from homelessness because you're in yeah. your car uh, and that these old, these 70, you know, plus people, these people who should be retired working shitty jobs that, you know, should have been done by teenagers. Um, that kind of, that kind of part really, really resonated with me is like, this is saying something about, you know, yeah. the kind of how brutal this country is. Yeah. I'm getting very long winded about this. I didn't like it a lot. It's mm. beautifully shot. It's mm-hmm. amazing to look at. Like you've been to the United States. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've got too far out of town. Um, the American West is incredibly gorgeous. Um, I was lucky enough to drive from San Diego to Las Vegas once, mm-hmm. and it's 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 an incredible part of the world. If you ever get a chance to do it, I highly recommend it. They they shoot some incredible scenes, and that seems like a, a wonderful part of, of living in a van is you do get to wake up with some incredible views that no one could ever possibly mm. afford. Um Overall, though, I kind of found it a little bit empty. It's like, what are you saying? Mm. What is this film actually about? It's not terribly entertaining. It's not mm. terribly informative. It's just a bit weird. But it's kind of that middling, mediocre, inoffensive thing. It sounds like it's saying something, but it really isn't, that mm. the Academy loves to award. And yeah. she's, no, look, I'm going to sound like a complete asshole here, but... Chloe Zhao ticks a lot of those diversity boxes that they want to tick. It's fair. And not saying she's not a war, she's not saying she's not a war, he's not deserving. She does a wonderful job of this film, I'm sure. But I'm just saying, you know, let's face it, there's been a lot of controversy about the Oscars so white mm. in recent years. Mm. White and male. <laughs> white and male. She's not white. She's not a male. Mm-hmm. It's a good year to be not white and male with a film and a very weak year for the Oscars. Yeah, I mean, it's the, we'll, we'll maybe we'll touch on on the Oscars, um, the nominations list a little bit later. But um, yeah, it's a weak year. There's not been a lot out. But shall I move no. on? Because I don't yeah, want to go move on. too long with it. I went to the movies on Saturday night with friend of a show, Patria, um, who dropped in unannounced, uh, sort of, um, and. <laughs> And we went up the road to see a film I've been wanting to see for quite some time, actually. Mm. And I'll just say, off a side note for a minute, one of the mm. great advantages of COVID at the moment, the fact that we talked about this a year ago, the films that would normally be filling cinemas right now didn't mm-hmm. get made a year ago. Yeah. So stuff sits in the cinemas for ages now because there's nothing to replace it. Mm-hmm. So if you don't see the film the first two weeks it comes out, especially if it's a little one, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily miss out. You've kind of got it. It'll be sitting around for a while. So I've been trying to see The Dry for a while. The Dry is an Australian film. Yay. Woo. I can't remember the last time I went to the cinema to see an Australian film. It might have been Hounds of Love, which was about three or four years ago. Uh, and this is a wonderful, wonderful Australian film. So uh, straight up, I will recommend it to anybody who has a chance to go and see it. Okay. Uh, it is a 2020 movie. It does mm-hmm. star Eric Banner. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our international stars and someone I just don't think gets enough work anymore. Um, I, I really like him as an actor. We've um, talked about him in the past and I don't know whether it's just a matter of personal taste or cho- choice of projects, but yeah, he's it's he, he pops up in some weird things 
and then he'll disappear for a while. And, you know, he was, he was in this special correspondence with Ricky Gervais a few years ago. He was in King Arthur. Now he's doing this. He's all over the shop. It's interesting. Daddy John was a decent show on Netflix, and he was playing against type there a little bit. But mm. Maybe he's just one of these weird guys. I think I've talked about it before. He got paid a shit ton of money to do Hollywood movies, and he just kicks back in his mansion yeah. and enjoys, like, living with his family and shit. What a weirdo. Because yeah. um, <laughs> I feel like that's what I would do, like, make some money movies and just enjoy life. Um <laughs> And he makes maybe films like this, which is great to see him popping up. It is directed mm-hmm. by Robert Conley, who is a reasonably well-known Australian director. Mm-hmm. Um, he made things like Balibo, which is about 10 years old now. Again, if you're an overseas person, I do not expect you to have heard of any of his stuff. He directed The Slap, which oh, did yeah. get remade in the United States. Yes. So you might have heard about that. Um, yeah, he's, he's um, a reasonably Romulus, my father. He was involved in that, um, lots of TV, mm-hmm. uh, reasonably well-known uh, kind of guy around the traps. There's some fairly familiar names in the uh, faces in the cast. I'm seeing one we- of the uh, Australian icons, Bruce Spence. Bruce Spence, best yeah. known for his role in Mad Max 2 as the helicopter yep. pilot. Mm-hmm. He also played the Black Lieutenant in Lord of the Rings. He was mm-hmm. in Dark City yeah. as Mr. Wall. If you haven't seen Dark City, what the fuck so- are you doing? Stop watching. Go and watch that film now. And there's a, lot, a younger cast in there of people who mm-hmm. um, who've, who've been in other things overseas who you might recognise. What is the dry? The dry Aaron Fork, Eric Banner, returns to his drastic hometown to attend a tragic funeral. His return opens a decades-old wound, the unsolved death of a teenage girl. Mm. So um, this is kind of a two-track story. So we, on the one hand, he plays a, a federal police officer, which is kind of like, our version of the FBI, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes back to his hometown, which is near Upper Kambukta West, in the middle of fuck, fuck nowhere, and to uh, for the tennis funeral of one of his childhood best friends who is a, basically being accused or assumed to have killed his wife and son and then killed himself. Uh, on the one hand, his, uh, his best friend's parents uh, beg uh, Aaron to investigate and look a little bit deeper into the, the, the killings, feeling that their son would never have done that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, as it notes, when he was lived there as a child, he was involved uh, in the uh, in the death, or he was a, a person of interest, or what do you want to call it, of uh, the death of a teenage girl or of one of his slash girlfriend friends as a kid. Okay. And he was basically chased out of town as a result. Um, and, and that was never resolved, and people still remember that and haven't forgiven him. Or they they hold him responsible for what happened, whether or not he actually did or didn't, or will okay. be revealed in time. Um, so this film doesn't do anything particularly original. It's kind of it is very tropey. Mm-hmm. Um, you're fairly you're, you're, people who are familiar with your sort of murder mystery sort of tropes will be very familiar with what's going on, but it's done really fucking well. Okay, and it's shot beautifully. It's shot, uh, I think it's shot up in uh, southern New South Wales somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where, but it's gorgeous. The town they shot it in is absolutely gorgeous. And I I was just going, oh, I can feel that place. Uh, it feels like, uh, uh, so Horsham Castle, Maine, apparently was shot in Victoria, okay. here in Victoria. Uh, and I could feel that town because I have someone who grew up in Australia. It, it really, in a, in a fairly small town, or who spent time in small towns as a young person, it 
really evoked that sort of the, the dying days of summer, the dry, the the the, the scorching heat. You mm. know, um, it, the, the buildings are beautiful. It just it's 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 incredibly well shot. Uh, on the flip side, I did figure out what happened at the end of the film about halfway through. Um, so <laughs> I feel like I, I I owe you an apology for the fact that. <laughs> I go at you about that a couple of times, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, quickly. There's this one scene halfway through the film, and I'm like, oh, he did it. <laughs> it was him. It's like this thing has happened here, and that's incredibly obvious because you showed me this thing here that basically says it was him. Yep. And then like, and then like, it kind of tried to do a couple of swerves in the back half of him, going, whoa, look at what this person's doing. Maybe it was them, and you're like. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was him. <laughs> but, but, but it was him because that thing happened before where he, you showed me that thing. And I'm like, you wouldn't show me that. Why would that scene be there? Why would you even mention that character in that scene yep. if it wasn't them? Uh, and it was that person. But the, the, the end of the film was, was really nicely done. Again, nothing particularly original. But I don't have a problem with that as long as you're performing at a very high step. The bar is very high if you're going to be doing something we've all seen before. The performances to a person are brilliant. Uh, I would be interested in seeing your opinion of it if you ever get a chance to see it it's from someone who okay. grew up overseas. Maybe you don't have that that same sort of mm. nostalgic feel. There are a couple of points in it where you're like, yeah, that's a bit convenient. That's incredibly <laughs> convenient. That thing just happened to happen right there. And, and Eric was the only person who was smart enough to figure it out. Like nobody would have tried doing what Eric just did. In the last thirty years, would they? No. no. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be a little bit vague about it because I would like people who are listening to um to have a chance to enjoy it if they if they ever get around to it. But um, this is a really wonderful little Australian film. I would love it if this film got some distribution overseas or mm -hmm. it ended up on a on a Netflix or a Prime or something overseas because um this is what we do really well in this country. We do really good film. Uh, there's so much talent in this film. If you go for, I'm not going to waste time. If you go through and just look at the main cast, the vast majority of them have worked extensively overseas, mm -hmm. and that all comes from here, right? Um, and it's really fascinating that a 2020 film managed to because they, they probably couldn't go overseas, a lot of them, yeah, uh, managed to get them all in one place and make a really wonderful little uh murder thriller. Um, and uh, I'd like to see, I wish we saw more of it. And I and one of the again back to the COVID world. One of the great benefits is you know like we're making a shit ton of movies right now in Australia. Queensland's mm -hmm. going off like a frog in a sock. Yeah, all of fun has been made up there. George Clooney and Julia Roberts, I think, are coming up to shoot a movie up in the gold yeah, up in Queensland somewhere. About that, yeah. Um, apparently, Queensland is just going off because we are so safe with COVID right now. Mm -hmm. um, I just love it if there was, a, and I, I love the international productions coming here, but. It'd be wonderful if it was actually a local production or two taking advantage of it as well. Yeah. No, I, I, th I think it's uh, – because I have noticed that there's been a bit more, especially um, because we – quite often there's like um, uh, when I went to the cinema to uh, – hey, what did I watch at the cinema? Oh, it was um, Chaos Walking. They were there were some adverts for, for like the Asian Film Festival, and it's like cool. We're starting to get some of that, and I've seen a lot more the small run Australian Film Festival kind of things, and so, like some of the streaming channels over here, like uh, Ten, they've had a bit more of a focus on Australian movies and things. Like that. It's really nice to actually be able to showcase it because it sucks that 
it takes a pandemic to shine a spotlight on one of the best track record sources of talent for film and TV of Australia to actually get that spotlight, but it's nice nonetheless that it's still getting there. Uh, and just a note, so, for example, this film opened in Australia on the 1st of Jan, and it's still in cinemas, nice. and the cinema was COVID full. Watch out, Avatar. Uh, <laughs> Gunning for you. <laughs> it, does, it does have a release date of the 21st of May in the United States. So uh, if you are one of the bots who listens to the show, mm-hmm. there is no release date in Russia at this point in time, but you might be able to pirate it by then, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're one of the CIA bots located in the US, um, you know, in one of the biggest cities that does have something better than a multiplex, um, I hope you have a chance to see the dry. It's a, a great Australian film. Excellent. Oh, I have got, I've, I've just been thinking about um, where I'm going to go after Night of the Generals, and I've got some great options. It, I think it'll be it's some very famous names, you know. I thought yeah. you'd be right. Should we yeah. talk quickly about Oscar, Oscars? Let, yeah, let's let's talk about the Oscars because I feel like um, Oscars twenty twenty one. Here we go. Every year, I get less and less of the movies. I get to watch less and less of the movies. Actually, we have no 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 real excuse for it this year in a lot of ways because three of the best picture oscars are i think netflix films which i think is very very telling of just how bad hollywood has had it has been hit considering like one of the biggest mouths in hollywood of steven spielberg saying oh no netflix movies shouldn't win oscar oscar movies and things like that it's always been a hubbub when like roma and um uh the Irishman got nominated and stuff like that. So everyone's going, Oh, um, is it, is this going to be the year that Netflix wins, uh, wins all the Oscars and things like that. And Roma did very well. And then suddenly to have three, it's like, Hmm, well, either that's telling of the changing times or best of a bad bunch. I was going to say, like, it, it, I think Mr. Spielberg might have to suck it up this year because mm-hmm. if he doesn't want uh, Bad Boys for Life to be nominated for Best Picture <laughs> because, like, we had basically two months of actual cinema cinema releases in the US mm. and it'd be, like, Tenet and Bad Boys for Life and Doolittle. Like, yeah, um, no. You know, so it, it, it's kind of, you kind of got to go, well, either we let the uh, streaming films in mm. Or there's no, uh, there's no. It would Oscar. be the shortest award ceremony ever, and people would appreciate that. <laughs> um, so I think you know it, this is going to be the camel. Sure, but break the camel's back. Like you right. can't not let them in next year. Mm, exactly. It's you've, um, you've you've made it. Uh, you know, it's a. It, it's going to happen. It's just going to be the thing now, and especially the film industry still hasn't recovered. We are. Apparently, touch wood, coming to the other side of the worst of this. But it's still going to be another year before any of the big, like when you think of like Oscar bait movies, Dunkirk and those sorts of things, it's going to be a long time before those are getting made again. Because there's just no money. It'd probably just be sort of picking up, I would imagine, yeah now-ish kind of thing. But um, you're right, there's going to be a a long tail to this. So 
Um, actors in a week. I guess I think I sort of said this is a weak year. Mm. So I haven't seen any of the films that have been uh, that had actors in them that were nominated for best actor. Um, I am I am very curious to see Sound of Metal though. That looks I, like mm. it could be interesting. And Riz Ahmed is a great actor. He has proven that he's got some chops on him. So I would like to see that. None of the films in here are saying I don't want to see them. I mm. would probably look at Mank a few times, going that mm. could be interesting. I mean, it's David that. Fincher. And the father hasn't been released here yet, mm. um, so that doesn't help. Uh, mm. I've heard Ma Rainey's Black Bottom could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of supporting actors, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, I've seen his film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not seen any of the others. I'm looking forward to seeing Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, and me too. I'm very, very hopeful that Daniel Kaluuya get, finally gets the Oscar he deserves because mm. I think he's a very, very fine actor. Yeah, I think that's fair. In terms of actress, I'm very much, as I sort of said earlier, I'm pretty sure it's going to go to Frances McDormand. Mm. But if it, I have a theory what's going to happen this year, so mm. you can track it at home, people. Okay. Promising Young Woman is far and away the best film that's been released in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. By a fucking country mile, at least as far as the ones that I have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie Mulligan absolutely deserves the Best Actress Oscar. Uh, Emerald mm-hmm. Fennell absolutely deserves Best um, Best Director. And it absolutely deserves... Best picture. He will not win any of those categories because mm. they're going to go safe and it's far mm. too confronting for the doc, for the Academy. Francis McDormand is going to win Nomadland for Nomadland. Mm-hmm. Chloe Zhao is going to win for Nomadland. I'm pretty sure Nomadland is going to win Best Picture. Mm-hmm. But Emerald Fennell is going to get Best Original Screenplay because, mm-hmm. as we all know, that is the consolation prize category that Quentin Tarantino has won twice now. Um, <laughs> because we don't want to actually say your film's got lots of violence and swearing and n-words in them yeah but it's kind of good i just don't want to give you a better picture <laughs> we, so. we just can't we, we, we'll, we'll give you a thank you note after the show <laughs> it's, it's the award you give people when you don't really want to give them an mm. award i think um also quite telling of the the rough year that it is is looking at the best animated feature films the fact that onward has been nominated it is not at all good when you compare it to other pixar movies it's got a little bit of a heart to it but it's not much when you're going up against soul come on it's 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 an unbackable favorite. Why why I, d- I don't understand why they would why a Disney Pixar would go oh yeah we're gonna push and split the audience why not just go yeah Soul is so obviously a better stronger movie let's just push that we won't um, put Onward up for uh, contention why would you do that that's why I'm a little worried uh, for Daniel Kaluuya for best actor in supporting role because. There's another, um, Lakeith Stanfield is also from Judas um, and the Black Messiah. So I wonder, is it going to split the um, split it there? And I wonder if someone like Sasha Bron Cohen might come up from behind or uh, Paul Racy and just take advantage of having two, two prominent um, contenders split the difference. It would be the, I like Sasha Bron Cohen as an actor. I would be disappointing mm. if he won for that film because I didn't think he was... Mm. I think if you go back... If, couple of months we did re- i did talk about it and i didn't think mm. it was anything to write home about mm. he mm. wasn't anything to write home about in it mm. actress in the leading role we talked about actress in supporting role 
I can't tell you how much I want Maria Bakalova to win this. Like, just to hear somebody have to read out, uh, Maria Bakalova wins for Borat's subsequent movie film, delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious (laughs) nation of Kazakhstan. I want that. I want that so much. (laughs) In fairness, I have not seen any of the other contenders. <laughs> um, but I think we again when I when I, I don't know I, I I when we when I talked about um, mm. Borat two I remember noting that Maria Bakalova was actually mm. really fucking good in it and the fact that she's like her first feature and she went head to head with Sasha Baron Cohen and didn't take a backward step mm. I really hope she did what she wins it yeah um, but otherwise it's kind of there's a lot of movies that have been nominated and you just kind of go, that came out. I've never heard of it. Yeah, like uh, Thomas Vinterberg has been nominated for another round. Never even heard of it. Nope. Uh, apparently, oh, showing. Wait, oh, that's is that the one with um, Viggo Mortensen? Yeah, I think it's Mad Mickelson's in it. Mad uh, Mickelson, um, that's the one. Yeah, yes. the one we were talking about him last week for being you know, in the villain squad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think it's a Swedish film or it's a Scandinavian film at least. Um, There's elements of the trailer that I've seen that remind me of uh, particularly the earlier work of Lars von Trier where it's kind of like, all right, this is skirting on that point of this is experimental movie. I don't know what it's about. It seems to be about a guy with, dealing with alcoholism. Four friends, all high school teachers, test a theory that they will improve their lives by maintaining a constant level of alcohol in their blood. That, that I can sounds tell like you right now that, that theory is completely bunk because Australia exists. <laughs> we tested it. It's been done. <laughs> and the Irish as well. <laughs> uh, uh, Touche. Um, so anyway, um, interesting. Uh, I'd like to see it at some point, but hmm. I had to kind of look it up. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but um i you're right so directors we've got fincher in there for mank mm-hmm. minari which is a film i've seen posters for as i mm-hmm. said chloe Zhao for nomadland and promising young woman emerald fennell uh, as I, i've given my opinion i think nomadland's mm-hmm. gonna win because it's safe yeah um i really hope i'm wrong mm-hmm. if you ever want it kind of stood out to me and of course it would stand out to me is best original score oh yeah because Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, so being a massive mm-hmm. non-acknowledged fan, Trent Reznor's been nominated twice. Yeah. Uh, for, for Mank and for Soul, mm-hmm. uh, along with Atticus Ross and John Baptiste for Soul and just Atticus Ross for Mank. Again, I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen Mank, but I have a feeling because mm-hmm. I really quite liked uh, Soul's soundtrack, and I, I know I caught, called it out when I saw it at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, I noticed the soundtrack, and I don't mm-hmm. notice soundtracks the way you do. Mm-hmm. And no, I think I, I agree. Globe. Yeah, I I just think that Soul is probably going to win all the awards that it is put forward for. Um, I think it is without having. Unfortunately, I haven't um, had an opportunity to see um, Wolf Walkers on that Apple TV Plus. I might try and get round to that because I do actually have a membership for that. Um, a Sean the Sheep movie Farmageddon. That, I didn't even know that came out. That kind of sounds a bit like the year that Jimmy Neutron movie got nominated for an award because th- I think there were only three animated movies that 
got offered the chance. I think it was one of the Disney ones, one of the um, DreamWorks ones, and Jimmy Neutron. Um, and then Over the Moon. I've been very touch and go on any of the Netflix animated movies. Some of them have been fantastic. Some of the, they, one thing that I will give Netflix for their animated movies is they do like to experiment with style of delivery. A lot of them are CGI, but even then they'll still kind of put like um, an odd frame rating to it. So it still looks like it's stop motion and things like that. So they're, they're experimenting a lot or they're allowing experimental animators to come in. I've just not been particularly enamored with any of the actual stories that they're telling. I think if they can get something like the equivalent of Persopolis or um, some of the the more unusual elements of like Pompoco or um, Grave of the Fireflies or anything like that, um, that's when they're going to start really cooking with cooking with some interesting stuff because it's much like what we've talked about in a lot a long time is uh, the animatrix and how those styles are so varied and amazing animation if they can just play with that and get really interesting stories that just happen to be animation they they could be onto something very interesting i don't know whether there's money in it for them though which is a shame is there anything else that stood out to you in the uh, the norms this year no not really um, I wonder how Olivia Coleman is going to do for supporting actress. Um, her, you know, she's been on quite a tear the last few years, a lot of praise for pretty much every project that she's been in. So I think that the supporting role is going to be an interesting one, especially when you're going up against Glenn Close. <laughs> this is kind of, oh, she's been nominated, give her the award. Um, exactly the kind of film it would give a given award for. I've seen the trailer for The Father a couple of times now. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like it screams Oscar bait. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the movie that I really want to see is Minari. I keep on seeing it pop up here and there and it looks just really interesting and up my alley. So I will get around to finding, finding my way to, to see that. If it's not playing, it is playing in cinemas here in Melbourne now. Yeah. Cool. I know what I'm, oh no, I don't have any time off for a fortnight. Hey. Ah, <laughs> uh, it sucks. Yeah. Um, anyway, as I said, it'll probably stick around for a while. Yeah. But I, the, I, I kind of feel like people aren't going to be as invested in the Oscars this year because kind of going to the movies has not really been a thing we've been able to do. And because there's not been a blockbuster movie released on streaming services, really, um, it's kind of, all right, I'm more interested in what's going to win the TV shows. And most people are probably going to go, well, it's going to be WandaVision. Because that's the that's the show that everyone's just been talking about, positively or negative. That's just had the most buzz. And it was, I mean, again, it's not been a whole lot come out in no, the last yeah. year. Bat and Tiger King. I don't think it's going to win any awards. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not watching that movie. <laughs> just not. <laughs> I refuse. Should we call it a night? And then I think fat, we should. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's, it's been a shorter episode than uh, last time, but like I say, this is probably the quiet before the storm that is Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm so curious to see that. I'm so curious. Yeah, it seems like 
overall, the reviews comparing it to Joss Whedon's Justice League seem to be more favorable overall, but they all definitely seem to be putting the asterisk. If you like Zack Schneider, you'll really like this. If you tolerated Joss Whedon's Justice League, you'll probably enjoy this to a certain degree. No one's kind of going, this is rewritten um, at superhero movies for, for the future. Or anything I, I, and like I think in fairness, we sat in the tolerated category. Mm, I think so. Um, but going back to it, like I did the other week, it's like... It doesn't get better. The more I was in hospital uh, for a broken ankle probably, I don't know, six months or so after this happened, mm-hmm. after the film came out, and I got Foxtel. With my 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 sure. sketchy foxtel with my TV, um, <laughs> and uh, I there was uh, that included four channels. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you, you didn't realize it, but there wasn't foxtel; it was just boxtel. It was literally. Yeah. I know a genuine boxtel when I see it. Um, <laughs> and um, they and Justice League was was on the movie channel, which is the one that came in clearest. Um, mm. and uh, I think I watched it three times in three days because <laughs> you're in a hospital bed, right? Like there's nothing much to do. Yeah. So this was before and I, switch <laughs> and, um, it didn't get any better every time I watch it. You're like, you watch it more, you watch it, the worse it gets. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's, it's even harder looking at it and hearing so much of the, the horrible work environment as they were making it care of Joss Whedon and others it's like oh yeah this was it was a miracle that this was not Suicide Squad B that when this got delivered to cinemas this is wow okay yeah so anyway we will have our initial impressions and a a Mm -hmm. bit of a deep dive I imagine next week all right. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, just to wrap up the show, we talked about Syriana, our most recent chain movie. Travis has chosen a classic Christopher Plummer, The Night of the Generals, for our next link in the chain. Uh, I talked about the 2013 Spike Lee version of Old Boy and the new hotness in the anime world of Demon Slayer on Netflix. Uh, Travis talked about Nomad uh, Nomadland, the Oscar bait movie. And um, the far superior movie, The Dry, starring Eric Banner. We also went through our Oscar thoughts. Um, Thank you so much, everyone, for joining in. And we will see you all next time. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash friedbrainproductions or facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. Thank you, and see you next time. Bye-bye.